right, students, come along, come along. Yes, I know the dinosaurs are very exciting, but as we move forward into the future, we see here a prime example of early man. Now, I know he may seem very similar to modern man, but I assure you that based on the solid scientific evidence, this is exactly what early man looked like. Um, Mr. Jones, you don't mean exactly what they looked like, do you? <laughs> We were unsure for a while. We thought this idea of, of wild people, unkempt hair, body hair, much more similar to apes. But no, according to these records we found, they were kind of just like us. But it, it, with even without body hair, he looks waxed. He looks His chest is entirely without any kind of body hair. Mm, yes. Also his legs. You see, early man was primarily suited for the jungle, right? So you can imagine the jungle is full of all sorts of poisonous things and uh, uh, dangerous beasts and terrible water hazards, and man needed to be able to adapt to all of these things. So rather than encumber himself with all sorts of hair or claws or anything like that, he had a nice toned physique. Hmm. Well, uh, why is he leaning against a tree with his legs crossed like he's looking across the bar at some... Buxom young woman. This is part of our research on the early mating rituals. You see, just as we today encounter each other in social situations and give each other sly looks, the sly looks that they gave each other back then were exactly the same and meant exactly the same thing. One, that they were interested in mating, and two, where could somebody get a nice scotch around here? Excuse me, please, let me out of here. Uh, teacher, I think he's speaking currently in modern-day English. Yes, yes, early man, of course, as we all know, uh, was well-versed in modern English as a result of the fact that uh, when he emerged from <laughs> who knows where, uh, his parents his parents left him uh, all sorts of books and things, and he taught himself those ways, and this is true for all of our ancestors. Mm, okay, if you say so. Could one of you lend me a hand? I can't seem to call my animal friends from within here. <laughs> uh, and now you can see one of our ancient countermeasures. You see, when early man got to uppity, his predators would activate their shock collars. Ah! Not again! There's nothing like this in the jungle kingdom. I have no defenses against this. <laughs> Let's continue on into the Industrial Revolution, which happened just after this. <laughs> Like, immediately afterward. <laughs> right, right. Um, this, this is just, like, any any culture that is not gunpowder is, is, is fair game with Tarzan. Tarzan constantly, like, encountering, like, Mesopotamia <laughs> and, like, ancient China and, like, modern-day Europe. It's, like, it just, all like, history or, uh, is the know. same. Yeah, Renaissance period. I so. have no like, context just, for how long ago things happened. <laughs> The, well, because, like, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote Tarzan, and, like, def he, he was definitely drawing on real-world cultures in order to influence his books, but real-world world history goes back a long time, and, like, if, you're, if your thing is finding lost civilizations, which are completely anachronistic with, like, the modern mm -hmm. era, you're, you're going to start mixing time periods without intending to. And it's so weird, because, like, this is our epitome of the noble savage 
Yeah. And he encounters so many whacked up shit. It's like, imagine if like, uh, oh yes, uh, the very first uh, video game ever created, Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, he, he definitely appears a man out of time. <laughs> he's unstuck. And which is which is so strange because he's the most verbose, you know, erudite person in the show. Yeah, yeah, and like he's the tannest, but like not by a lot. Right, and well, he's the <laughs> like he's the best groomed. Like he, he's just like a modern modern metrosexual. Yeah. <laughs> and like he, you know, it, when you say noble savage, like he's he's this was a man whose strength was so fierce, who was was in touch with the wild, but he's like so chill when i and say that's such modern sensibilities and notions of modesty and like being good to your no to your neighbors and when i, I don't know, say man. noble savage i mean the burliest man in a boy band who grew up on a farm right right but that's not that's <laughs> not what this is like, that's not, <laughs> that's not what close. this should be it's what they purported to be and then we have like a james dean looking hairless motherfucker <laughs> leaning against a tree and taking a drag of a sig i'm i'm really looking forward to us just kind of like teasing apart every way that tarzan is the way he is because there's nothing else to look at and we have right. a lot of time to fill it's the it's the only thing to look at uh, so yeah let's get let's get started on this ah hello everyone my name is ben and my name is zane and welcome to the Carton Cast. Mm. This is a podcast where we review old cartoons and see what we think of them as adults. And today, we are taking a trip back to the seventies. Put on your, <laughs> put on your, uh, you know, uh, goldfish boots. And Zane, other traits of the seventies. Help me out. The um, oh, uh, the Iranian Revolution. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yup. <laughs> Stop on down in your gold boots down to the Iranian Revolution <laughs> and uh, get ready to talk about Tarzan. Yes, we are the Carton cast of the Planet of the Apes. Um, it was Earth all along. It, you know, it kind of was, Zane. and it very much wasn't. Yeah, it's like every Earth. Yeah. It's like hollow Earth. But yeah, uh, you know, I, I think... I'm, I'm amazed by like... Common- What's that? I, I'm just thinking, like, if I was a sci-fi writer at the turn of the century, and I was just, like, writing out, paid by the word, writing out, like, plots of Twilight Zone episodes I kind of remember, I could have been famous. So you, you famous. Yeah, it's, you would have been the guy who made Tarzan, which we'll get into in a second. <laughs> but I think that in order to set up the, you know, kind of premise of Tarzan, before we talk about, like, who wrote it and everything, I think we should just let Tarzan speak for a little... For a little bit, like let him give his own intro. The jungle. Here I was born. And here my parents died when I was but an infant. I would have soon perished too had I not been found by a kindly she-ape named Kala, who adopted me as her own and taught me the ways of the wild. I learned quickly and grew stronger each day. And now... I share the friendship and trust of all jungle animals. The jungle is filled with beauty and danger and lost cities filled with good and evil. This is my domain and I protect those who come here for I am Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. (laughs) 
and we need that introduction despite the fact that he is one of the most famous characters in fiction and none of his backstory matters <laughs> i think that it actually does matter that he's the one who tells us it because mm-hmm. we're familiar with tarzan as kind of a barbarian archetype like you know george of the jungle yeah me tarzan me tarzan yeah eugene me want touching that kind of thing yeah but low he, touching but he's so gentlemanly <laughs> And he's so sophisticated, and so I want to hear it out of him starting every episode with, remember, I'm an educated man. <laughs> I, I graduated from jung- Jungle University. Yeah, I mean, this is basically James Bond if he had no technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so so let's talk about the concept of Tarzan. Right. Um, so the show Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, ran from 1976 to 1980, uh, 1980 on CBS. And it was produced by Filmation, which never found a horse it couldn't beat and beat past death. Yeah, um, it's like this. this I mean, <laughs> we, we've seen Filmation before. Enough said. Uh, it, and it was based, as you say, on the book series by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, it's named for the seventeenth book in the series, which had like twenty-five books. Um, yeah, each one of them was like three hundred pages long, apparently. And the stories began in nineteen twelve in as magazine periodicals. And they had books running into the 30s and anthologies being released and re-released for like generations. Like Tarzan is still well known in our, um, you know, in our cultural lexicon. I think it's fascinating how well the idea of Tarzan caught on mm-hmm. in those, like in those, uh, in like the 20s and 30s and stuff. Like I, I don't know what about that era lended people to just be drawn toward this kind of sci-fi fantasy by one of the sort of creators of modern sci-fi adventure yeah i would, I would yeah. say like edgar rice burroughs is it like was a legend in his time from from what i'm reading up yeah. on edgar rice burroughs you know hg wells mary shelley they kind of took mm-hmm. the established norms of fiction and advanced them just enough so that like a single generation later we had a boom of ideas Right, and, and to give you, uh, to give everyone like an idea of just how famous was this guy, uh, he apparently, because he inspired, he like played a part in an inspiring real exploration of Mars. An impact crater on Mars is actually named after him in honor of his death. Right, because he wrote uh, John Carter books. Yeah, which is like uh, sparked Nevada Marshall on Mars, <laughs> as far <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's it's one of those series that I feel like I would very much enjoy, but the fact that it bombed as a movie a couple years ago, I just thought like it's probably more trouble than it's worth. But if you if you pick apart the 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 concept of either John Carter or Tarzan, what you get is a manly man who ex, who like explores a new civilization, and you know he, there, it's almost kind of power fantasy ish, like the the natives there appreciate his strength and and cunning and like you know, uh, joie de vivre, and they just, they just like, positively respond to this protagonist. Maybe not initially, but, like, by the end of every episode, it seemed as though, like, everybody understood, oh, Tarzan's just the best. Yeah, it's important to remember the cultural context at the time because this was sort of the end of the Age of Empires, and people really started romanticizing this idea of, like, oh, there's still lands out there we haven't discovered and conquered and extracted resources from. The wild unknown, yeah. Yeah, in darkest India and darkest Africa and the white man's Ugh. burden. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, 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 is, um, that is definitely speaking true. Speaking of, he was actually uh, probably very much inspired by uh, The Jungle Book by Rudyard Kipling. 
Oh Except yeah. Except instead of a boy, it's a man, baby. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, if you if you look far enough, if you if you start picking apart things that are like this, you never run out of references. Like when once I yeah. start like trying to think of where have I seen, you know, adventure in a different place every time, new cultures, that kind of thing. It's like oh, it's Land of the Lost. It's Johnny Quest. It's it's like, multiple as I, genres. As I said, it's Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars. It probably inspired the Calvin and Hobbes spaceman spiff <laughs> there's those old manly covers from cracked articles yeah you know what i'm talking about like i do if, if you start looking for things that edgar rice Burroughs likely had a hand in inspiring it, the list never ends like it, he's just so hugely influential um you know how a lot of the time in modern anime mm-hmm. we kind of we, we look back to see you know, what inspired this? And it's like, oh, this is sort of a, a takeoff on, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And if you look at what was the uh, the the patient zero for that, you get back to Fist of the North Star. This is, like, Fist of the North Star level inspiration of an entire genre. But yeah. in this case, it's not just anime. It's just, like, all fiction, <laughs> and, almost. And, and I'm really glad the, um, the one, the... the um incarnation of Tarzan that you've selected for us today because you know you they had movies you know as early as the 30s about Tarzan and as recently as you know parodies like George of the Jungle uh the Tarzan animated movie from Disney um you know like this story has been told and retold um this one's kind of claim to fame is that it is much truer to the source material than a lot of stuff um you know you don't see Jane a lot you see a ton of lost civilizations that get like a single story and are not revisited. Right. Yeah. And like, if you start to think about it in those terms, you're like Tarzan's in a really strange mashup of culture, like melting pot jungle from (laughs) like across that reaches across time and space. And and of course that doesn't happen, but you know, like the, the, the frequency with which he uncovers an ancient civilization within miles of his last one is, is pretty funny. Yeah. This is like, if you're looking for D and D bait, this show oh, has it. Oh, one hundred percent. Give me, throw me into the Tarzan land. <laughs> like, throw me into Tarzan's jungle and just like watch me tear through a bunch of like Mayan temples mm-hmm. and like uh, you know uh, Chinese palaces and just you know every every single new place that we get, we can explore a whole culture and then beat up their best fighters in a gladiatorial arena. Yeah, and and the two parts of this that are really like interesting and cool are that setting that that versatility and tarzan himself tarzan is a tricky concept for me like i i wrestle a lot with how to talk about him because there's so many ways you could do it right and and as we said this and and so let's just talk about tarzan yeah Uh, um within the context of this show you know you know as you said he is not the me tarzan kind of character he is i I saw a lot of like i I think that um the guy who created superman actually uh drew on inspiration from tarzan and john carter Mm -hmm. which another point of reference this is he was oh this this stuff inspired superman okay (laughs) (laughs) but i saw a lot of common dna of that kind of moral fixture strongman kind of thing like a captain america or a brave star yeah, he, he's good, and you know he's good, and you can assume that if he does something bad, he's just tricking somebody who's worse. 
Yeah, and so so he's he as a character, he doesn't look. So, he's like the sheriff of the jungle, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah, this is Brave Star. It's just Brave Star in the jungle <laughs> for for a lot of it. Yeah, and that sheriffness of him can make these episodes kind of you know bleed together a bit like the stories are not so so different it's kind of banking on like trusting the audience to find this lost civilization different enough to be interesting from the last one yeah well what they what they do to kind of accomplish that goal of making each episode different enough is new environment it doesn't really need to be new characters because tarzan's enough and all the other characters are like good enough for an episode and then we're done with them Mm -hmm. but but the thing that they do is give you a new environment which you know has its own environmental hazards and, and what have you which is good enough for like an action exploration kind of thing but it also drops a new moral on you. You know, we, we would later see in the 80s that the moral center PSA kind of thing becoming a fixture. Uh, it, it didn't originate in the 80s. It, it came from before. And mm-hmm. this has every, every episode sort of has a, a central message that they want our good boy Sheriff Tarzan to tell the audience. And so by doing this episodic format as we're going to go to this civilization and I'm going to have an adventure with this native of the civilization and through interactions with him, we'll realize that, you know, true strength comes from restraining oneself or, or something like that. I, something I, didn't, to that I didn't get that through line as hard as I have in other shows that that hit it more over the head. Maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention to me. This just seemed very much like, you know, rinse, repeat. I'm going to be I'm going to win this by being smarter and cooler and more morally righteous than the other guy i never really got the subtleties of of what you're talking about i mean there also is all of that so (laughs) you know when we say that tarzan's the only character it's totally true and there's like actually a lot to him Mm -hmm. um but but i i do think that there is kind of that moral backbone that he insists upon and maybe it's not as you know full, full disclosure i watched three episodes and tapped out um this is from the 70s it's not fun to watch but it's you know but, but so like maybe i just saw episodes where he happened to have a moral uh a moral message that he would, wanted to get out by the uh-huh. end of it um and, and maybe you just didn't see any yeah so I, I think you know this was the era before really reruns were huge um you know people watched what was on and so I think it, it is much more designed to be, oh, we're watching this this week. It's a new feeling. It's a new adventure, quote unquote. But it's the same thing that you saw you know, last week. It's just been a while since you saw it. You know what else it reminds me of is those like old uh, talk, like those old radio mm-hmm. uh, episode um, kind of adventure shows. Yes, and uh, Tarzan, of course, had some of those radio adventure shows, and hopefully we can clip some in here. It's the night of their little son's first birthday. Lord and Lady Greystoke are sitting in their rude but strongly built home. Around them lies the jungle, dark, mysterious, teeming with great sinister shapes, mocking with dreadful quiet through the night. The roar of a lion tells that the mighty monarch of the forest has made his kill. And from farther away can be heard the hideous laughing cry of the hyenas, echoing the lion's ponderous roar. Yeah, that, that would be great. I would love to to put one in. And then, like the, the the concept of coming home from school and like listening around a radio as the next installment of whatever, whatever you know, sixties era kids assumed was exciting. That that is, that's in my mind as. 
Like, I can't actually conceive of this. You're having nostalgia for a time before yourself. But think about what that means. Your noble savage is people who were listening to the radio. (laughs) And their noble (laughs) savage was Tarzan. It's not that I'm it's not that I'm nostalgic for it. It's just uh, it's this idealized sense of time. Yeah, well, it's 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 a way of relating to um, media that I that I no longer have. I have all of an adventure at my fingertips um, and just like the serialization and syndication of a long running, never ending adventure is something that I no longer can really relate to. Mm-hmm. And it kind of started with the, the those radio drama drama things you know i know conceptually they're still doing like radio dramas via podcasts now but the fact that i have control over when to play them makes them very um undesirable for me you're less committed to it yeah but like imagine being a kid who come from come home from school and like this is maybe the only escapist fantasy you have access to you'd be glued to the damn thing sure um yeah, which which maybe maybe kind of, you know, Tarzan hit it big in what the, like the twenties, the twenties and thirties. You can mm-hmm. sort of start to see culturally why people were fascinated with this person whom is not a slave to society and goes on wide spanning adventures. I'm kind of reminded. <laughs> yeah, society of, was not at a high point. <laughs> they weren't doing so hot. I'm I'm kind of reminded of Robert Louis Stevenson mm. and his conception of Treasure Island and how that was inspired a lot by the fact that he was very sickly as a child and you know the 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 whole pirate sailor adventure kind of thing of another point of reference for things that Tarzan inspired probably uh, I think it's the other way around yeah no you're oh, right the, the grass is always greener when you don't actually have scurvy but 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 my point is like you know it you you can see why this caught on especially in a pretty depressive era mm-hmm. yeah absolutely Anyway, we, we talked ourselves back into the origins of Tarzan and out of Tarzan itself again. So let's go back into him. I want to remark on his, on, um, his just, you know, utter anachronism to the fact that he's supposed to be a jungle man. Yeah, they pay lip service to giving an explanation. But really, it's just like, imagine the European... And how he's so much better at the jungle than the native is. Yeah, why don't we just put a... Yeah, let's just put a European in there. Say that he was born there. And yeah, that's it. Like, Like, why why do we have to develop it further? Bravestar had a lot of problems, but at least he was actually, like, Native American. (laughs) He made sense in his his setting, right? And, and, And here we've got man who... His parents died while he was an infant... And he was raised by a, and I'm quoting here, she-ape. Right. And then he (laughs) speaks perfect English, has no body hair, is polite as all get out, has no, like, animalistic predator-prey kind of tendencies to him. And the craziest fucking thing of all is the way he leans against a tree. (laughs) His arms are crossed, his legs are, he's, like, got this... He's got a Brave Star stance, but uh-huh. like none of the culture that would foster. Yeah, a there's Brave no Star saloons stance. here. What happened? Like, <laughs> like there's there's no way. And I think what's going on here is that Happy Days was two years before this aired. Oh yeah. So so I'm thinking that he got a lot of traits from like what is cool in the '70s, and it's the Fonz. <laughs> like I, I think that a lot of, and and it's it's right. interesting looking at him through the lens of what was cool in this decade 
and remarking on the fact that he has no body hair and is actually a pretty slim figure Mm -hmm. really relates back to kind of look at the action movies in the 70s versus in the 80s. Mm -hmm. In the 70s, kung fu movies were much more popular. You know, you had your Bruce Lee types who did not have a lot of body hair and were pretty slim. Um, Go into the 80s, you've got like Rambo and Rocky and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You can start to see the male ideal shift away from this lean physique to a bulky one. Yeah. And I think it's really telling that Tarzan has that lean physique to him. Mm-hmm. And and like looking back at the Fonz and looking back at Tarzan as two of the same type of guy just shows you like how this uh, in, this romanticization of the past works where everything good is combined into a single thing and you don't have to worry about any of the trade-offs. Yeah, exactly. So like he is polite and the strongest man in the world and yeah. you know, physically appealing and his hair is kempt. You could keep you could set your watch to that haircut. <laughs> yeah, and, and and just just all of it. I just mean, all the, the good. look is also very inspired by uh like comic books of the era where like yeah, Superman wasn't as bulky then as he is now. Um it was a lot more of a sleeker thing. You know, you think think of Adam West. That was <laughs> that was your kind of the, the male ideal. Yeah. And, and you know, that this was before like the area the era of like Captain America, Rob Liefeld kind of creations where just you just a bunch of muscle uh-huh. mass and it doesn't really matter exactly if it's thoughtfully yeah. arranged on a human frame. But, like, just, just make sure you realize that there's a lot of muscle in there, and that's good enough. Did you end up looking at any of the source material, any of the any of the books or stories? I, I didn't. I, okay. I found them a little bit too difficult to find, and uh, I didn't really do my due diligence on that. Because my understanding is most Tarzan adaptations do fall much more into the, like, me, Tarzan, you, Jane of it all, which makes more sense, but I don't know are better. I, I don't think they are better. Like, diegetically... In the world of Tarzan, wherein he was raised by the jungle, of course it makes more sense. Like, even me, Tarzan, is a little bit too much mm-hmm. to, if we want to be... Like, it should just be screeching and shitting in his hands, right? <laughs> but, 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 like, in full honesty. But I like this iteration of Tarzan better. And most of that is just because I like Captain America. And this is pretty yeah. Captain America. Yeah, so, like, so we have to put that part aside. But once we accept it, like, it goes down really nice. Right, and and that, 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 let's talk more about his actual like personality. Yeah, by and, it and I mean so Tarzan, as... not the show. No, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is very clear. But uh, I I like his personality a lot because it is very brave star. It is very we're going to a new culture. We're going to respect their culture even if they don't respect us. I saw multiple occasions of him being kind of talked down to to by like people whom assumed mm-hmm. they were better than him because they didn't have loincloths, and he would always just be very accepting of their point of view and like you wouldn't escalate a situation he was sure as hell finish a fight but he'd never start one um yeah and you know by the end of it he has seen the good in these people whom have wronged him to begin with it i don't know it just i do still feel some i i do sort of still feel kind of like a hero worship for a character who can do that who can you know, treat his enemies with kindness and get their respect. Yeah, it was it was a you know it was a more genteel era, um, right? The, so I want to talk about how the episodes are typically laid out in this show, absolutely, um, because there is a format where he interacts with this new society, and and usually either he comes upon like 
oh, I was walking, and just over this next ridge, there is an entire civilization I didn't notice. Um, or he'll meet some individual in the jungle. Um, yeah, and, and it, like those are both more or less different versions of the same thing. Yeah, and, and it's a culture clash story. And either way, the other is initially wary of him, and like he makes a friend once they see how strong he is. Uh, and like his culture, like you say, like even they're being mean and like jailing him, he's always very genteel and culturally superior. Uh, and eventually, he like gains renown in their civilization. But somebody gets jealous and tries to do him in. He foils their plans. He makes peace. He heads back into the jungle. Rinse, repeat. Yeah, yeah. Thus, increasing his popularity and fame, and letting himself to act, Tarzan action figures, bringing democracy to the untamed wilds. It's, it's. I mean, like it is pretty sheriff, right? It is pretty cowboy kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. I would, I would be surprised if. You know, some spaghetti westerns didn't draw yeah. from this as well. Oh, oh, they're not inferior intrinsically. They just don't know how to live right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, part of this genteel nature, I think, has to do with the fact that at this time in cartoons, you couldn't really show violence the way we're used to it, right? This was, you can't, you can't punch. There's this blanket ban on heroic violence. We we talked about this in He Man how he had a sword and never swung it, mm-hmm. which is which is still true here. Like he's he's the strongest man in this jungle, which is yeah, on several planets. Me. But you know, it, if if he altercates, like I've seen him, I saw him doing a lot of trapeze shit, yes. and I saw him doing a lot of wrestling shit. But that's okay, <laughs> right? You, there's no like impact yeah. behind that. And he'll dance around and he'll think his way and charm his way out of situations. And that's I think why they needed to to make him this way. Because yeah, of that, that limitation, that's, that's certainly the case. Um, you mean you mean that you think that's why they had to make him genteel and nonviolent? I think so. I think you know this is ostensibly an action series with very little quote unquote action as we're used to it. But you know they they sell it as part of his character. Like they they made it fit in naturally when it, by making the unnatural part the fact that he exists at all. This this this. This show has one major stumbling block that you have to get past, and that is Tarzan is the way that he is. And when you <laughs> once you accept that, everything else falls into place. Right. Like, actually, pretty much without flaw. Like, I, I didn't really have any misgivings about the plot of any episode or how all the interactions played out between him and anyone else. Once I accepted that... Tarzan was just an indomitable mensch. Mm-hmm. Everything just sort of just sort of clicked. Yeah, and and we should talk about why he is so compelling to a viewer. Yeah, I mean, like I I I already know why he's compelling to me. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the way he moves, the way he speaks, and that noble good guy you know attitude. It's something that they would later capitalize much more on in uh, He-Man, where, like, just good guy and stronger than everyone else, and that's all you need. Right, but it's it's the way you do it. So Tarzan was voiced by Robert Ridgely, and he voiced the protagonists of um, The New Adventures of Flash Gordon and sure. Thundar the Barbarian. So, like, very leading man right off the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his voice is like honey. And, you know... The reason why he looks so good and why it, I buy it every time he does this acrobatics is because uh, his character model in the show was rotoscoped, right? Where you take a human model and you, uh, you know, trace the important lines and movements around it. So it looks 
unnatural compared to the background, but it looks like a human person moving. Um, and that's like really jarring and interesting to see at, at this era. Right. And we're jumping into animation a little bit. I did not realize it was rotoscoping. Uh, it looks amazing. Like it, it, <laughs> you, you, it looks so much better. The way he shifts his weight, and like if he goes to dive, you will see every part of the arc of the dive. It, him running is the most fascinating thing about this show. <laughs> just, just the motion of this man. Because, like, if you have watched any '80s era cartoons, you're like, that doesn't look good. It's, it's limited animation. They only do the key poses and then just leave the rest aside. But for some reason. In an even older vintage, they had the wherewithal to just put all their animation bucks into making this guy look good. Yeah, yeah. And he looks good. He looks very good. It is very, you know, the contrast is built up even more by those backgrounds being static and all the other models doing very little movement. He, when he moves and articulates, it is, you know, he looks larger than life. Yeah, and, you know, there are a lot of, talking scenes there's a lot of standing around and and these these are basically still photos um but and and like they zoom in on the face a lot you know they did that in star trek the animated series they did that in johnny quest um and it's sort of like where do you want to put your attention when you're crafting this for johnny quest it was the backgrounds when we we just did a, a show that kind of uh was a little bit similar in its conception to this, um, which was Pirates of Dark Water. Mm-hmm. And the the idea behind, you know, we, we had talked a lot about how the character motions all felt very fluid and because the animation was wicked expensive. Here, it's probably not as bad because it's just this character and nothing else. And maybe that's how you square that circle so that you can actually make it run for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the result is very, like, honestly... The result looks like they're doing a tech demo with Tarzan's movements. <laughs> it, really it looks does. like they're trying they're trying to show off how good animation can be when you actually care about the animation. Yeah, physics first. Physics first. Yeah, and like granted his physics are real fucking floaty, but <laughs> but he looks good. His movements look good. And that's why they reuse so many shots. They do. And like that 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 image of him doing like the Tarzan yell is uh it, it you know it shows up every couple of episodes in the exact same way and he's not always doing the tarzan yell sometimes he's just speaking loudly mm-hmm. yeah but the way like he like angles back to open up his airway and like shifts his posture in a way that you would never animate if it wasn't rotoscoped and you would never animate if it, if you were trying to sell toys in the 80s that's true because you need them to be blocky because the thing you're selling is blocky oh and, and because you have to do 60 episodes in a year <laughs> right so, so that that, that um, is also part of it another source of his uh modeling and, and the way that this is very um you know the, the way that his body shape is very accurate is the art was based on the tarzan comic strip yeah how much did you look up into the tarzan comic strip because I, I don't have any familiarity yeah so you know comic books tend to give this fantastical feeling of adventure anyway um but the specific reference is burn hogarth who wrote the comic strip, which started in 1929 and only ended in 2002. Wow. Yeah, so it's been going a long time. Uh, and you look at the comic strips, and it looks just like this. Um, yeah. Bern Hogarth was a professor of drawing anatomy. <laughs> so that's a, Yeah, maybe, maybe that's part of it, yeah. Uh, apparently he was a wild lecturer. I have a great quote here. Yeah, give it. 
Paint me this sound, a spider walking on his web. What is the music of that sound? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the comic it's aesthetic... like a mad prophet. The comic aesthetic and the emphasis on anatomy, I think, makes the rotoscoping a brilliant choice. Yeah, the, the emphasis on anatomy does it wonders. Like, anyone who is wondering what exactly we're talking about... Go try to watch the like the first episode and just pay attention to whenever Tarzan is moving like substantially. Whenever he's running or swimming, just it looks as though it is the final project of any animation student trying to capture someone that they saw uh-huh. running or swimming. Yeah. And it and it makes sense it, like all of these aspects do kind of play off each other where yeah, he's not going to be this bulked up superhero jacked man because it's a, it's a it's a dude. It's like a you know. It's like a Sean Connery in his heyday kind of looking guy. Yeah, um, he he does look just like a regular guy, but he looks like a regular guy at the peak of his physical condition. Yeah, it, like the, he looks like an Olympian. The word that I kept going back to when watching it was present. He feels very present. I don't know what that means. He's like got, a present to me? Yeah, like a gift? No, like he's <laughs> oh yeah, like, like the like. You put a little bow on his loincloth and let me unwrap him. That kind of gift. <laughs> yeah, that's that exactly right. No, he's just yeah. got a, a he's he's got a presence. He's got a stature. He's got this weight to him that nothing else in the show really does, and it adds that larger than life feeling. It's it's one of those nice examples of like we didn't have the resources to make everything pop, so we made this very important thing pop, and it's better for it. That's a good point, and let's remember that this inspired in part Superman, who is literally an Ubermensch. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that there's a lot of connective tissue of all of our favorite kind of fictional heroes up through the Gold and Silver Ages, and they probably came a lot of it from Tarzan, specifically because he does feel larger than life and better than, better than good, you know, lar- better than most men, um, someone you can look up to, some, like, symbol of authority, because that's also what he is. He's playing that Brave Star Sheriff thing. He's also a symbol of authority. Yeah. And those... You know, even with Jonathan Joestar, he is both strong and good, and they are interdependent, right? Yeah, yeah. The the mm-hmm. that's his where his right, strength comes his from is being righteous. His righteousness informs how successful he is in his missions because people it, respect it. But it's interesting that you you point out that his actual animation makes like supports his place in any story, and that is that is a really cool detail. Yeah, like well, if you were crafting this. And trying to make everything look like Tarzan, it might not actually work as well. If if you have a limited budget and you're trying to make your character stand out among the other animated features of the time, he needs to literally feel like he's jumping off the page. And, and that, that that another thing is like the shot composition in this show. Oh, don't get me started on that. this mess. <laughs> no, well, well, if you look at any given shot, he sort of takes up most of what you're looking at. Like the backgrounds are pretty sparse and they don't move. He's the thing that's he's the thing with agency. He's the mover and shaker on the page. It's not busy like He-Man. Did you see the episode where it was him in the land of the giants? I did not. These guys were like a foot taller than him and he constantly picked them up. That's <laughs> that's very good. <laughs> like um, what more proof do you need? Yeah. Um he's definitely the focus and yeah. And rightly so cuz like in the way of characters, what else do we really have? He's got a monkey pal. Doesn't come up. I didn't even write down the name. Nakima, I believe. Yeah, this is just sort of like, hey, like, like a hype man, like you go, man. He, he is he is there simply to give Tarzan someone to talk to before he encounters the culture that he's going to deal with that day. Mm-hmm. And and to that point, I think he accomplishes his mission, but beyond that, nothing, and that's fine. 
there are a lot of animal things. You know, they kind of fall into the, like, helpful, friendly animal and angry ape categories. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the angry apes talk English, and that's jarring. It, um, it made me think for a second that they if there was, like, an automatic translation for us, the audience member. But in the very first episode, he is speaking English to both apes and, a, like, a human woman w- who actually has a command of English. And they both understand him perfectly, and he talks the exact same way. Yeah, yeah. And he'll say, so, so no. he'll say like, he a command just, word, and it's just some gibberish. But, you know, he'll say English, and they'll understand him. It, it, yeah, it's pretty, it, like, again, just, like, let that part go. This man exists, and he knows perfect English. He was taught at, like, he was taught perfect diction at Oxford Finishing School, and he taught it to all these apes. <laughs> the exchange student. That's where we're at. Yeah, exchange student from the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's Jane, um, technically. Does she, does she, is, is that supposed to be Jane? I found this fascinating. No, no, no. So Jane appears in the fourth season. <laughs> That's wild. Uh, she's voiced by Linda Gary, who voiced Tila in the original He-Man and a bunch of She-Ra characters. Um, oh, sure. But she didn't really have much to do here. She didn't appear till the final season. She was requested by the estate to be included, but because it's taking from the books and Edgar Rice Burroughs kind of couldn't find ways to shoehorn her into stories, she just wasn't there a lot. Yeah, no kidding. Like, it, I mean, it's, it's very clearly a Tarzan show. This is very much you know someone for boys to look up to power fantasy age all that jazz that we're familiar with uh you know a damsel to rescue is only as important as the act of rescuing her it it, like i don't think she can actually have a personality of her own either in that era of of storytelling or in this area of animation he's i I just don't think it happened he's also kind of like too upstanding to have romance he's married to the job ma'am yeah like uh, after he rescued her, like he's talking to Jane and they're saying like, oh, I would love to stay in the jungle. I'd like that very much, ma'am. But then we hear a, <laughs> we hear a pig squeal in the distance and he's like, that's Borka the pig. I must see what's wrong. And he just <laughs> runs off. It's it's like a guy who is like who's figured out that he's gay trying to make like making very flimsy excuses not to kiss the girl in front of him. <laughs> He's just like, oh, to the jungle, something else bad is happening. You can't hear it, but with my superhuman hearing, I can totally tell. Well, I'll get back to this bottle of wine with you later. Right. Why, why don't you get started without me? <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah. So, so in all in all, I really like the character of Tarzan, even though he makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the tone and genre of the Tarzan formula. Yes. Because, as I had said... It does seem like there is a clear moral center for every episode, and I was actually very impressed by its place in uh, in this in this story uh, format. Okay, and it's specifically the reason I'm impressed is because I think that it more or less like a a particular story moral for an episode. It has to conclude by the end of the episode. It probably would not be well articulated through a 300-point page novel. I'm guessing this was made up whole cloth by the story writers. Wait, what thing? Uh, they, well, how to include a moral... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a message into this, into this, into the show. I mean, books had themes. Sure, but, like, I mean, I think that, like, the content... Uh, let me give you an episode. Please. Uh, so, Tarzan uh, encounters some... Dudes who look like dwarves. I mean, they're basically dwarfs. They're mountain dwarfs. 
Um, entirely hairless, despite that it's an ice cavern. Don't worry too much about it. But, you know, they... Well, Ben, that makes perfect being, sense. That, that makes perfect sense. Uh, they're encountered by these conquistadors um, who are trying to get some treasure inside the mountain. So they're trying to, you know barge their way into their home, but it's going to collapse the mountain if they try to mine the treasure out. The history textbooks in Tarzan's universe must be, like, wild. Yeah, I know. You got dwarf people, pygmy kind of people versus, like, uh, conquistadors, and, like, no one bats an eye at how weird that is. (laughs) But the point is, uh, there is, like, this warrior guy on on the dwarf people side who wants to go out and fight him, and Tarzan says think about what you're trying to do here you're trying to get all your people to safety them you fighting them will not help and it's actually mm. like exactly what they're doing they want to mine out the treasure despite the fact that it'll bring them out down the mountain you guys are not that different you guys are both jumping into a situation based on impulses and not thinking it through yeah and and that kind of moral first of all that moral groundedness to the character of tarzan is beautiful love it yeah he he's always telling people like I, so I'm, I'm with you. You're doing this all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm here for you. You're my, you're my pal. But you know, listen, listen to the Lord of the Jungle. Who's the Lord of the Jungle? <laughs> Is it you? I don't think so. Only room for one Lord. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the thing that they play with through the whole episode. And by the end of it, he convinces the dwarf guy. He doesn't convince the conquistador. Guess what? Things turn out poorly for the conquistador. But the dwarf guy gets all his people out in time. Mm-hmm. So and like so, it's not like a very particularly subtle moral. It's just think bef- like look before you leap. But I thought that given the context of a twenty-two or whatever minute episode, it was well placed to kind of pull this entire plot together. And how would you actually pull that plot together other than just having a sequence of events to yeah. follow? Yeah, I mean, that's why some of the episodes, because they're adapting such long sources and it's a little bit of hodgepodge, they don't always cohere. Sometimes it feels like there's two or three stories that they're drawing from in a single thing just to, like, make it fit and have that theme like you mentioned. Yeah, I, I, and I don't know if it always works that well. The, the the ones that I enjoyed tended to do that quite a bit. Thankfully, like, because of the source material and the wildness and, like, quasi-sci-fi of the day— um, Nothing really feels out of place or too outlandish, so you can combine things. Um, let me let me give you an example. Sure. Uh, in the uh, Tarzan and Jane episode, Tarzan takes on the ape that kidnapped her. He rescues her. Great. Still five minutes left in the episode. So we see her dad wander off. He finds an ancient temple. He unleashes a dinosaur. And sure. Tarzan and Jane track him down. They meet some of the ancient people and they're like, we've been living underground because we can't like we built a trap for the dinosaur, but we can't figure out how to lure him in. And Tarzan's like, I'm perfect for this. Yeah, I've um, been doing sprints all year. But it's it, it, the thing is, it's part of the same episode. Like this happened a few times where the main climax is done. There's five minutes left. We've got a couple of like resolution confrontations. Yeah. I, I don't know how I feel about that. And I, I, I did not feel like they were as connected by a common theme as the ones you're you're talking about. That's interesting, because I, I, the ones that I watched, they tended to do it every time, was that he knew the right answer right away. You know, in a Tino's mom kind of way, he's like, I can if, if I were in charge, I would fix all of this, but you guys have to figure it out as well. To be fair, I point. wasn't paying the most attention to this, because in a 22-minute episode, a good three minutes of that is him swimming back and forth. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's really hard to focus on this for that long. <laughs> it it can be. 
just because we're talking about kind of moral centers in shows, I, I kind of wanted to like uh, break from talking about this specifically and just kind of talk about the way we've seen it handled in a lot of contemporary, like uh, not contemporary, but like mo- more modern shows. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically of cartoons. The ones that are coming to mind are like Fairly Odd Parents. Okay. Or, or um, it, you know, I, I don't have to actually list cartoons. Um, maybe Gravity Falls. You know, just just things that are more in the modern era than this. And that you, they are they do have a moral, but who is the one who is learning that moral? Oh yeah, it, yeah. It's always the protagonist, right? It's not just he knows the moral ahead of time and is like, kind of, you know, teaching all these other people how to embrace that moral. Yeah, the flawed hero. The flawed hero or the hero that's like learning like the, the character development in our in our main protagonist and that's so different <laughs> from Tarzan and Superman and and James you know, Bond it, and it's yeah this it I I can't throw my you know our it's... dad really likes Superman and I never understand why I'm starting to kind of pick up the pieces of it a little bit I I'm you know I grew up in the era where my cool guy learned as he went and watching him have that growth was really satisfying, especially as a young man, because I could have that growth. But maybe there was something to the style of storytelling where your main guy was just great at everything and yeah. you still learn those morals, but not through him personally. He is like a good adult. He is like holding your hand. He's like a good teacher. He, you know, like that, that whole moral authority thing. I, I can sort of see the appeal. The, the big dad energy. Yeah, it's it's very paternal. He's got really good big dad energy. It's paternalistic. And again, to put it back in that cultural framework, it's it's like, um, you know. Someone you can trust. We're the, adva- you know, it's the white man's burden. We yeah, know things. Yeah, it really we is. We are right. And we need to share that with the world. And they will thank us for it. And it was, you know, it was so imbued in the culture at the time that I don't think the flawed hero was as prominent for most of, you know, most of, uh, most of our culture. I mean, I mean, we, in our, you know, in, in our, in us growing up, we've kind of seen a shift from flawed hero to, um, I guess the, uh, how would I weigh it? Like, how would I put it? Like, we've kind of seen a shift from anti-hero to kind of anti-villain almost. Yeah, I would say so. You know, like it's, it's <laughs> I, sort of gotten darker and grittier. You know, the Joker movie just came out trying to, like, sympathize with the villain. There's that whole Punisher thing. I could just list any kind of Marvel character at this point. But the point is, like, it, it what your hero looks like, depending on what decade it is, is a really interesting thing. Yeah. And I'm, I want to I wanna start kind of paying attention to that as we go through these different decade kind I, of I, I often think of, like, the early 2000s as being, like, it's the hero, but he's kind of bad. And nowadays, I feel like a lot of animation is like, it's the villain, but they're kind of good. kind of good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there's only so many different ways you can spin a protagonist. Um, it, it's, it is interesting to watch it go through its peaks and troughs throughout history, like what is actually popular. Yeah. Our, our, uh, our generation is very much primed to like fetishize growth as a concept. And like we love stories where things get, get people get stronger and better. So Yeah, we're told to be proactive and it gives us mental you know, disorders when we are not able to be proactive because society has like crippled us, our ability to actually succeed. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're coming out, if you're coming at Tarzan and all you know is like, you know, Superman, Batman, Captain America, at least the original incarnations where they were kind of like gods. um, Yes. You know, this is more of the same for us. It's gods among us, I might say. For us, this is much more, um, 
you know, this is much more unique. Yeah, coming from the perspective of someone who was, you know, grew up in the 90s and and 2000s, watching Tarzan is is a very strange experience. Uh, since you mentioned White Band's Burden, I do want to briefly mention that, you know, the, the, the standard caveats for dealing with a different culture apply. Yeah, and despite the fact that this allegedly takes place in Africa, everybody's pretty European looking. Uh, until they're not, in which case it's an intense problem. Oh, I didn't see any of that. Are you talking about oh. spider people or does it get worse? Oh, well, let me, I mean, there is there is a Mongolian-Asian mashup society. The main guy we meet, his name is Chang. Sure. He, we need to, like, rescue his Sifu because the, the warlord took the dragon pearl, and there's, like, a big Chinese-style dragon that shows up halfway throughout the episode. It's so clear when it's racist out of laziness because it's the same plot. They just changed the names. Well, they changed the names, and they did bad accents, in, like, oh. <laughs> which is not a thing they had learned not to do by then. Right. And and what's interesting is that the core of the message of Tarzan for a lot of it is there's good and bad everywhere you look. Mm-hmm. These people who have a culture I don't understand are not to be reviled. They're not to be, you know, they're not to be feared inherently. We should... We should go up to them and, and, and unbiased and try to learn about them from their own mouths. And then we actually do that in the show. And it's the most racist caricature of a Chinese person that I've ever seen. And it's like, <laughs> ah, okay, you're kind of you're kind of lying out one side of your mouth there, Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Yeah, I mean, he does he does treat everyone the same way. I did not the see... The character is fine. I have no problems with him as a character. No, I'm no, talking about, like, about, the, the storyboarding. Yeah, yeah, the construction around it. Um, I didn't see it uh, used in, in race very much, but I did see it used in class where, you know, he will talk to a slave and get along great and, you know, give them some advice and, like, pat him on the back. But he will do that to the king as well, who caused the slave. Um, there's one episode where the, like he meets up these spiders, these giant spider people, uh, but they turn out to be spider robots and the, um, working class of the society took control of the spider robots, um, to, to start a, a, like a class war and, um, the, uh, uh, bourgeoisie were like, you shouldn't do that. And Tarzan says, you know, to them, like, well, you really shouldn't mistreat them. And then he'll go to the, the working class guys and their spider robots and like, you're really going about this the wrong way. Isn't, isn't there like a like a peaceful compromise we could be coming to? Um, so that's, that's my name more tag. what I saw. Lord of the Jungle. <laughs> yeah, you're Listen all to equally me. inferior to me. <laughs> I mean, he would never say that. No, he's thinking it. Uh, I don't, I don't even know thinking if he's it. thinking it, really. It's, I'm it's just, thinking it. The effect is the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's... It's a it's it's a complex telling of like it's sort of the problem with uh, Captain Planet era diversity where yes you have the diversity but you're missing the point behind it and I can definitely see how like yeah you turn one of these stories into a three hundred page novel there's going to be a ton to both enjoy on the surface level and to dig into if you have to write a paper on it it would be really good to be able to develop a story like I have no idea when Tarzan talked to a slave that sounds like it's just prime for problematic kind of dialogue <laughs> but like if you were doing it through 300 pages you have Tarzan as the kind of everyman who is unbiased to any given culture which I think is the point behind him being in a jungle is that he can he's he's not Im- explicitly introducing his european values onto a society that he doesn't know he's like a blank slate in that way in practice that's not actually the case but i think that's the idea behind it 
if you wanted to have a story about like this is what a slave thinks this is what the slave owner thinks you could do it through Tarzan as just being a generally good guy who is observing it all. Yeah, up he's close. he's completely naive, and he's um, you know, he's like an, he's like a classic anthropologist who goes to these far off places and just withhold judgment. I'm gonna see what these people do. Very Star Trek, yeah. Prime Prime Directive kind of situation. That's that's where the culture was at the time. I mean um, that that and that again that is the that's that's the explicit conceit. In practice, he does have very, like, kind of uh, noble, like, notions of, like, freedom in the American way. Kind of, he does have, like, <laughs> Captain America in him. Yeah, he, he's honestly more American than European. Right. So, so when you we say that he it withholds judgment, that's not exactly true. Like, he's still judging the shit out of him in that he's like, you shouldn't enslave people. Or, like, the way, yeah, this is a barbaric treatment of whatever the hell. Like, he, he actually is... You know, he does actually embody those values. It's just not explicit. Yeah, he's, you know, there's only so much time, and he can't be the one to start a fight. No, he'll sure as hell finish it, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so what do you think about these different lost civilizations? Because I, I saw a few different ones, and, like, you know, you, you you look at the episode titles, and it's like Tarzan and the Space God, and oh, you're like, oh, give me a hell second yes. with these hardy, uh, give me a second with these Hardy Boys novel titles. <laughs> like, they're really amazing. They're so misleading. The Space God is just a dude in a plane who crashed. Tarzan and the Ant Men. Mm-hmm. Tarzan and the Leopard Men. Tarzan and the Lion Lion Men. I'm just picking them at random, and they're all different kinds of men because that's what Tarzan cares about. Man, Tarzan <laughs> at the Earth's core. Yeah, I probably should have looked into that one. Tarzan and the Madman, Tarzan and the Tarzan Twins. Like, honestly, like these are just amazing titles. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, I can read any amount of these and be really happy. Either because they were like just catering to the popular fiction of the day, which very much was this sort of like outlandish and gimmicky and Twilight Zoney like aliens thing. Or maybe they were just bored. Like, I don't think they ran out of source material. Um, a lot of the episodes have much more modern sci-fi tropes than the original books. Like, you'll aliens or robot doubles or, like, a Dr. Moreau ripoff. Um, oh, really? That definitely wasn't in the original books. But Tarzan's formula, where he, like, meets new people, sees a problem, handles the immediate problem in his vicinity, and then leaves, like, that works fine. There's no plot yeah, too that's... outlandish because the jungle is a place of unfathomable opportunities yeah it's it's kind of timeless like it's actually a perfect formula for an animated series yes i'm, I'm actually like very i'm actually totally on board with this having existed like i don't think there's anything like from a business perspective this was an ingenious concept for a show mm -hmm. there's nothing you can't do and you don't have to really animate that much except for tarzan and you already have a bunch of source material to draw from. Like, it, it, it and, all and makes a, sense. And a packed-in viewer base. Like, they all already know Tarzan. They've seen him in the movies. They've heard of him course. on the radio. Yeah, so, like, every every kind of, you know, every kind of layer we peel back from, like, what makes this Tarzan series take, all of it seems like it was, like, really, really capable of being adapted into an animated series. So yeah. I'm really glad this actually happened. <laughs> well, the people who made it happen... Um, Lou Scheimer and Norm Prescott. Uh, mm -hmm. We've talked about Lou Scheimer before. Of let's course. just get let's just go ahead and get that anecdote in there. Uh, his uh, grandfather flew uh, fled to America after punching out Hitler uh, in a beer hall during his rise to power. Yeah, well, like in the twenties or something. Yeah, like before it was cool. Yeah, before uh, Captain do, America do, did it. 
Do you wonder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, the they got the rights from the estate, and specifically from Edgar Rice Burroughs' grandson, and they had to do two things. They, they promised they would be true to the source material. You know, they would use the original books and use those plots. And also, they had to let him be the one to record the yell. Wait, who? Edgar Rice Burroughs' grandson is the voice of the yell. Just the yell. Just the yell. That's interesting. But unimportant. But Well, yeah, I mean, like, that's just, you know, the height of hubris. Why would you not have the voice actor who voices Tarzan do it? You know, I, I maybe he looked at his grandfather like he was Tarzan. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe he just wanted his place in history, I guess. Yeah. I guess it gets everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I think your original question is how I felt about like all the ancient civilizations. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm pretty into them. There's, um, there's a number of Disney movies that are exactly that concept and I'm always, you know, Lost City of Atlantis, El Dorado, neither great movies by any stretch, but I still love the concept and I think that the whole, the whole exploration of an unknown land and like dangers that you can't possibly foresee I'm never going to get tired of that. Like, that's just, that's candy to me. I, I love an ancient civilization. I love, like, unearthing clues about how the culture functioned. It's, I, I I love encountering an animal that's like an animal I know, but about 20 times as big. Yeah, yeah. It's all extremely cool to me. Yeah, and this sort of, like, big open world and I'm a cool guy in it and I'm going to check out cool things, like, this very much informs modern, like, video game design. Like, I'm... I'm playing back through uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, and, like, it's the same thing. This guy who's not nearly tan enough as he should be, (laughs) (laughs) who's, like, this hairless, just, like, I know he's the good guy. He doesn't have a ton of personality, but I know he's the good guy. Going through all these biomes, meeting these people, doing all this hero shit that's all self-contained, and you're just exploring and immersing yourself, and it looks great. It's physics first. Like, I I was so primed to watch Tarzan. (laughs) The uh, I, I'm actually rewatching Avatar: The Last Airbender right now, mm. and I, I get a similar feeling walking through that. With the caveat that in Avatar: The Last Airbender, all of the civilization that they've made is internally consistent, and in Tarzan, you only need it to be consistent for twenty minutes. Yeah, so it, and like it's not as you don't deep. have to look at it too hard. <laughs> it's not as deep, but it is a similar vein of like we have our regular guys, we know them pretty well, so they're not the the variable that we add to this development is new place, new yeah. place and new people to interact with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, stuff that seems like it belongs somewhere else, like aliens or, you know, uh, spider people. It turns out to just be another one of these lost civilizations. Mm-hmm. Why do you think like the Disney Tarzan didn't do anything with that? Because they did I, so much that... more with the Jane thing and, like, the sort of Pocahontas feeling of it. Yeah, I think maybe it was just, it was kind of backing on, on that Pocahontas vibe of, of explicitly cultured versus uncultured being the main kind of theme behind it. Like, what makes a true civilization and, like, how do we, you know, how we qual- qualify ourselves as civilized as opposed to... Um, less like more primitive societies despite the fact that like it's not inherently superior maybe that was the cultural question that they were kind of inhabiting a little bit more whereas this is just kind of a smorgasbord of just tolerate everyone they said they spent a lot more time of like tarzan as the you know um flawed hero who's trying to be more 
you know, uh, uh, socially acceptable or whatever. Cultured, Cultured. civilized or whatever. Yeah, and and here he's already that, so it's just him wrecking shit in the jungle. Yeah, I, I don't really know. Like, this certainly appeals to me more just from a storytelling perspective. I find the what makes a person cultured is it technology is it society is it morals i I find that question to be more interesting but i don't think it's as much fun to watch Mm -hmm. like this is the show that i want to watch (laughs) if if i'm watching a tv show about tarzan it's him wrecking shop in a jungle yeah yeah like somebody literally throws a lion at him and he just like grapples with it for a second pushes it off and just like oh he does that delightful thing where he like bear hugs it and then pushes it off of him with this great pike motion of like kicking it off of him in the same direction that the lion was pouncing. Oh, like a backward somersault judo kind of move? Yep, yep. Or or him, like, tackling some leopard that is also leaping midair. I could watch that on loop for the rest of my life. Yeah, let's talk again about the way that he moves. Absolutely. just so... This it, is, the, like, this is the standout bit of Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Mm-hmm. You know, is him running his... You know, I, I really like watching him run for all the reasons that we already mentioned um it really just shows that when you don't try to do anything except for a single piece of animation you have enough frames to do it justice yeah and and they did put that sort of emphasis on um some other things like sometimes the animals will get that sort of treatment um Mm. one time he tied a snake into a knot and the way that it wriggled out of it like i was looking at him like i don't even need to go look it up i know that that's how a snake would do it (laughs) That's really cool. I also think, like, we mentioned the way that he pops, like, kind of jumps off the page. Yeah. Um, I think one reason that uh, that's enhanced is the jungle itself. So there is a, there's a real sense of depth. So the, the foreground is, dark, is more darkly shaded, and the background is more light. So it always feels like, you know, the, the sun is off in the distance and like it feels more realistic but it also makes tarzan's movements really pop because he's on a lighter background and like he can move behind a dark uh you know plant life and it feels much more 3d i'll be honest like i i stopped kind of considering the background as a piece of thing something i had to look at once i saw how flat it was and maybe i shouldn't have uh have made that assumption it's jarring on times when he like goes up above the treetops because now everything's bright and it looks much more uh, like, oh, you just like collaged a picture of him in front of like some 2D artwork, like a What's watercolor. What I can remark upon is the fact that he is often vertically, he's moving vertically as opposed to horizontally. Mm-hmm. That, that really opens up what is possible with the story and also like kind of plays with your expectations. Like I, I saw myself start to start thinking in portals almost like start thinking in the third dimension think marty you know you know like when i watched enough of this i'm just like oh there's a tree there's yeah every you know like that is a potential way for him to do to like uh to move to get to the next scene of play Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just like i guess and you know also in a broader sense there's no roads to walk on there aren't streets he can go in whichever direction he wants Mm -hmm. yeah and, and he makes full advantage of that you know it's Oh, they're they're running away. They're escaping. I'm going to brachiate toward them. Yeah. Um. And the way that we'll see that is, like you say, he'll he'll grab a vine and and jump up or climb a tree, and then we'll get a few shots that are been repeated of him like gliding through the air almost, and then he'll like land. 
it, like so you can imagine this in a different show where like oh the people are running and he will land in front of them and they'll like slow to a stop that doesn't yeah. happen here what happens here is there will be a, a like a picture of them running for like half a second and then you will see a quarter second shot of tarzan swinging a quarter second shot of him like jumping down to the ground and like crouching where you don't see them at all you'll see a reaction shot and like then you'll see them all standing around next to each other <laughs> yeah they don't like do a scooby-doo kind of skid to us to a halt with like that nice motion with that no- nice uh noise and yeah. like a little smoke coming up uh i think what you're what you're touching on is that this show is really showing its vintage like we, we've talked a lot of sugar about the way that they animate tarzan there are these there's are there are these things in it that you would later see excised in a you know a he-man of some sort which uh-huh. is the repetitive i mean you still have limited animation in he-man but like the specific thing of him like you know doing that like pike motion in the middle of the air or swinging on a vine it's it's very clear that they only wanted to do that take once yeah, well, you it's know. also like in He-Man, it's not that much harder to move multiple characters on a single frame, you know, rather than just showing them independently and then having some connective tissue um, visually connect those two ideas in your head. Here, like, they just cut from one image to the next to connect the ideas and then to keep you from recognizing that they're just showing you a series of still images like from a comic book, they'll zoom in and twist around the camera. Yeah, I, I I didn't really take much note of the techniques that they used. It it was all about like uncomfortable like they all they made all these animation techniques fill an episode, but the way they kind of piece them together does feel a little bit like they didn't know how to incorporate everything smoothly. So for instance, he does look fluid when he goes from like that diving motion and lands on a tree branch and then immediately looks just static, right? Yeah, yeah. And that can be a little uncanny valley to like watch him go from like a fully rotoscoped person moving to just now he's the background and right. then it, and it causes him to fade from that larger than life sort of personality. It, it's saved a little bit by the fact that the voice acting is so good. Yeah. And I but didn't, I didn't you notice can definitely that. see the, the awkward teenage years of the animation. And I didn't notice the problems right away. It took a few episodes and it's one of those things where like once you see all the things that they're doing to like, save time and money it it really shows its age with the exception of tarzan the longer you look at how tarzan moves the better it gets yeah and maybe that's just contrast but you know it didn't my my enjoyment didn't suffer because Mm -hmm. of it uh you mentioned his voicing uh, and i think his lines are great as well his his lines are great and also confusing in the way that anything that he says that isn't me tarzan is confusing Uh uh-huh but uh but i i do i do like his voicing um, the, the, just like, like we said, paternalistic leading man, big dad energy kind of sense of him. Uh, he really takes up and booms and, and, uh, takes up space. Um, in terms of the yeah. way he talks, it's like uh, with respect to other people. It's deferential almost. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the deferential you can have when you know that you can beat up everyone around you. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm willing to play your game because... You know, I have all the, I've got all the cards. I have a, I have a quote here. Yeah, give it to me. Who are you? How did you defeat my spider machine? One question at a time, young lady. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's just decorum. Honestly, the, the, the way you'd answer that is the same answer. 
One, two questions, one answer. Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. But but He Man would make a pun. Tarzan right. is just like we're in my game now, and in my game we're gonna sit down and have a nice cup of European tea, and we're gonna talk about our problems. And if you got an issue, I will judo you. Don't worry about yeah. how that works. Yeah, the yeah, <laughs> I, I learned it from some other culture. It's like a whole three hundred page novel. You don't want to read about it. <laughs> they were ice giants, probably. You 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 do uh, touch upon something that I also noted, and is something I really loved from Brave Star, which is that on like that honest uh, that honest respect mm-hmm. of new cultures, which is one of the themes of the show. Um, I've got, also got a bit of dialogue here, which is you know showcasing some of his Captain America turning the other cheek stuff as well. Yep. Where he 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 encounters one of those dwarf people, and they say, "I am Jorak, and I could have handled those men myself." And he says, ha ha, so where were you when I needed you? <laughs> you? You make fun of me? Forgive me, Jorak. I meant no insult. Just very genuine, mm-hmm. like mirthful like, and genuine. Oh, I'm probing to see if you're the kind of guy that I can rib with. And now that it's not, it's just like, okay, yeah, let's let's sign our emails with Sincerely again. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wouldn't be like, jeez, oh, I thought you could take a joke. It's be like, nope, that's my bad. <laughs> I overstepped my boundaries. Uh, yeah, and like that deference goes to the animals because he treats them like like he would people because he, you know, they they are people to him. He'll well, take... until they fucking cross him, and then he treats them like he's a he's a ringleader. Well, don't cross him. <laughs> he no. did rescue an ape from falling off a cliff cliff once though, and then it saved him from the dinosaur. That was badass. Yeah, that you could just make up animal verbs that um, Tarzan did, and he probably did them. Yeah. Uh, there was a. Uh, I will say that, like, despite the fact that I really like the cadence of with which he's delivering dialogue, the the dialogue itself, from you know, speaking not just to the tone but to the actual delivery, it feels it feels really forced. Um, it, like I think all the actors were trying to do they 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 read their lines as though it's an audio play or a soap opera mm-hmm. or. You know those like '80s B movies that they riff in Angry Beavers. Yeah, yeah. That's ha- that's what it felt like to me, where each line is just overemphasized and stated right at the audience. Right. You know, like so. So in one episode, uh, he and Chang will be talking to like a Mongol lord or whatever, and the Mongol lord, you know, will say something like, "I, uh, I don't have to worry as long as I have this," and then he pulls out this, you know, glowing object. And Chang says, the dragon pearl. The dragon pearl. And Tarzan pearl. turns to him and says, what is the dragon pearl? And it's just very unnatural dialogue. <laughs> like it, What y- is could, the dragon pearl? <laughs> yeah, you could, you could see, like, there's definitely a better way to, there, like, a way to more naturally investigate this situation it's, than to just, like, verbatim <laughs> and just very flat. Maybe it was just the cultural style at the time. Like, this is why Shatner rose to prominence. <laughs> I, I can't speak to like the Shatnerian supremacy, really. <laughs> all, all, I, all I can say is that it felt flat to me. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's fine. Like you need to fill time. We got to judge it on its curve. Um, but yeah, it, it it definitely that the learning to speak in a cartoon. They still didn't get it even by He Man. Like the job voice actor was reserved for just very few people for most of cartoon history. Lou Scheimer did a lot of the voices in his stuff because he didn't want to pay voice actors, and it shows. Like, he was Orko, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I want to I give another example just to kind of bring it home. Please. Uh, he, again, is talking to that dwarf-looking creature, and he's like, uh, and he tells him not to go out there to fight the conquistadors because there's, there's no way he'll win. And the, guy, and the dwarf says, I know what I'm doing. 
but you did not know that there is an army of conquistadors camped at the foot of the mountain. <gasps> Perhaps I have been foolish, Tarzan. It is brave of you to admit that, Jorak. Mm -hmm. I only hope that Carlos is as willing to face reality. And just, like, there's no personality to any of those sentences. Yeah, they, like... Delivered to move the plot. That That's the main thing that I got from the dialogue. Although I like the voice, like, I like the actual tenor of the voice, and I like the content of what he's saying, the actual delivery felt pretty... pretty soap opera-y. Yeah, you know, it... They didn't have a lot to work with. No, the, the industry didn't really give them a, a rubric to follow at that point. Well, because... The Tarzan he... Howl is pretty iconic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is famous. This is in every incarnation of Tarzan. Can you explain to me why it's iconic? Nope. I, I think it sounds good, but like, I don't know. A man's man yodeling is not really a thing that I would think would be catchy. Right. I mean, a lot of, so I think part of it is that sort of, you know, noble savage type, because a lot of uh, civilizations have these yells or, or you know, vocalizations. Battle cry or... Yeah, you know, think of the rebel yell from the Confederates, or there was, um, I think I heard recently there's like some uh, Aztec uh, stuff that like a couple of like living people remember or have had passed down. That's just like you hear a recording of it and it's like bone chilling. Like, oh, this sounds like somebody's going to murder me and I can't tell how many of my enemy is coming up over that hill. And this feels like a, a European individual's version of that where I'm making I'm, I'm puffing up my chest. I'm making myself look as dominant as possible. And it's a little bit yodely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a good move, like, to, to establish so early this very distinct yell. You know, it, it, it feels like the Wilhelm scream, almost, is that mm -hmm. they, it's so iconic, you can't not, like, place it when you hear it, which is what you want to do if you're doing a long-running franchise, which maybe it wasn't designed as such, but the fact that it is noticeable now, mm -hmm. like, 30 years after the animated series came out, <laughs> like, it's... I mean, 40 years? I'm Holy sure it shit. was in some of the movies as well. But yeah, it's iconic enough to parody. Like, George right. of the Jungle, same general idea. Yeah. See, like, it's just fascinating how much staying power, something that no longer has any any product moving anymore. It's just amazing how much staying power that yodel actually has. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of other examples from, from culture that would have the same impact. Yeah, that I mean the 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 Wilhelm scream is really the one that pops to mind for me. Mm -hmm. It's like that and like a police siren. Yeah, you you intrinsically know what's going on. It's Pavlovian, yeah. Um, I want to talk about the uh, music because Please. that's the last thing to talk about. This is amazing. Yeah, it. I would say that it is sparse but effective. Most of the music, like the instrumentation, there's not a ton. Um, you will get a drum. You will get a flute. You will get, like, some monkeys chanting or screaming, and maybe you'll get, like, you know, some synth just, just for flavor. I, saw, I, I heard a lot of synth. We'll talk about the synth. <laughs> um, but what it does is it lets, you know, the, the drums that they choose to use, you know, that's very much a, you know, oh, jungle aesthetic for good or for ill. That's the cultural connotation. Yep. And it shows you the mood that Tarzan's in because he's not going to emote too much. It it does more than that though. Like it's 
it's the best thing that like I remember it was it not always but occasionally happened in Ferngully especially like the early parts where they were really trying to immerse me in the setting is that you notice that the tracks are kind of punctuated with a lot of animal and weather sounds Mm -hmm. that really does a lot for me yeah it makes you feel like you're there and you almost don't hear the musical instruments it just feels like this is part of the setting I really love the intro to any episode where Tarzan is just kind of doing his Tarzan thing and you hear that uh, that uh, that synthy intro, that like leitmotif of his. The, the little and, meandering flute line. Yep. And, and, then, and just like that plus nature sounds like crickets, maybe like a like a like a monkey kind of doing like some barking thing in the distance. You hear like wind and, and water and stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the drumming that happens, you know. Sometimes it kind of fits the main theme, like, uh, from the intro, but a lot of times it's just sort of arrhythmic or amelodic, where it's just like, we know there needs to be drums here, but we don't want to give it a firm, uh, consistent rhythm or, like, structure it too much, because that takes you out of the jungle and puts you back into the concert hall. Oh, man, like, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned the amelodic tracks, because I have a lot to say about that. Please. Because, like, that's the first thing that you notice in the the music, if you're kind of listening to the music, is that a lot of it is pretty atonal, like, just kind of noise or, like, free jazz. Yeah, yeah. They're they're just playing with their instruments. Yeah. And it's so cool how they actually can use that to great effect. Because generally, when things are going good, and this is not always true, but, like, generally what I found was if things are going good or it's early on in in the show, you have a light melody and some sounds behind it. If you get into a tense situation in the show, mm. what I found was that they tended to pull the melody out and just do this these weird atonal noise tracks. Like a synthy twang. There was there's this one piece of music that is like I don't know if you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't have a better way to describe it, but like there is like a twangy string instrument kind of cacophony that always reminds me of someone being stuck in spider webs yeah yeah but there's often like a drum behind like i heard a snare drum a couple of times that did have that rhythm and like that's clearly representing his vigilance like he's walking through the spider's den and we all feel it right but like if you just look at if you just listen to like the that the strings Mm. in the spider trapping you kind of kind of thing that will be him walking into a trap and then when he gets out of the trap you hear that leitmotif again and it's just very good conveyance of what you are supposed to be feeling with in reference to like the mood of the scene yeah and it's so good for like it's so good for an uncivilized uh you know, it's a, an uncivilized protagonist to have a lot of your music be a melodic. Yeah, natural. Yes, very good. Because uh, you, t- you, cut... you don't get pure tones in in the jungle. Of course, I, I uh, th- there's that one famous. I'm gonna make it show notes again. There's that one famous thing where like um, somebody, some like famous musician from a uh, developing nation was like shown the uh the philharmonic orchestra or something and later he was asked what was your favorite part of that and he responded the beginning and he's like oh at the overture and he says no 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 the very beginning and he was referring (laughs) to them tuning all their instruments Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, so like that that is definitely the case if you're not used to it um Mm -hmm. and then sometimes the soundtrack is 70s pornish prog rock (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it goes into straight up yeah, the porno music that we all know and love from Wizards. I don't know what was wrong with the 70s, where they felt like this needed to be in everything. I don't know what was right with the 70s. What's wrong with every other decade <laughs> that we don't have it constantly playing on loop? Ah, uh, yes. A simpler time. 
So uh, I was honestly pretty impressed by the sheer variety of different musical tracks. Mm-hmm. I don't think they, beyond the late motif and those vague jungle drum sounds, I don't. I couldn't point to something that they used multiple times. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's incidental music. You're not going to be able to hum it usually. It, it's not melodic. It's just it's it's present, and that means that they're not. You know, there's probably a good bit of uh, of improvisation that you could do with that. I I I almost hope that there was. Like I I almost hope that it was done live. <laughs> I don't know you about know, like, that. No, I I do because like it 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 really is the feeling of Tarzan is you're 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 viewing him au natural granted without any body hair that he presumably shaved off ahead of time but like he is the way that he is and he didn't come on he didn't take a script on set he's like he'll know when to go out he knows his lines Mm -hmm. and just the feeling of I guess it is just more noble savagery stuff that I should probably part with now that I'm an adult but the idea of not preparing as your as as sort of the statement yeah you just pick it up and you try and make the feeling uh-huh. Yeah, make it organic. I, I wonder... Which I know it's 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 not inherently a good word. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a lot of the times it is conf- organic is conflated with good. Um, I, I don't inherently feel that, but I do feel that with Tarzan. Yeah, yeah. And it, the music is definitely associated with that. Like, I definitely also heard a lot of... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to go into a different thing, and, and I wasn't... Oh, I was... Well, I was... actually, I, I can tie it back to, yeah, uh, to one other thing. I think that's probably better. Yeah, let... Uh, like the way that uh, that they both, um, you know, we, we talked about how Tarzan's really the only thing that's animated. There is one other thing that's animated that I think should get a little bit of credit, which is just nature. Mm-hmm. Like nature stuff happening. Yeah, it's Whenever not Johnny you... Quest level detail, but like it's it feels alive. It does. You, you, like when they when they are animating a raging river. And they oh, are animating yeah. Tarzan. Those two things are being are they they both pop on the page. You want to feel the danger and adventure of a raging river. You want to see Tarzan being the Ubermensch, you know, kind of greater than like larger than life personality swimming through that river. So to animate those two things disparately and then put them together and have the music go along with, you know, Tarzan sounding good and a lot of the music kind of lifting up these ambient nature sounds. Mm-hmm. I'll, like I'll say it again, like they worked with what they were given, what they had access to, and the fact that they like were able to lift these pieces up by several different metrics. I don't know. It's just very impressive. And to and me. the fact that like they actively animated like the stuff he's interacting with, like the water or the branches. That's um, so good. It feels like he's imbuing life into this jungle. <laughs> That's true. I like <laughs> I, like in the same way that he's instilling values in these other communities. So I want to bring this kind of back around where we have these nice things to say about the individual pieces and the way that it all combines to to make Tarzan a great protagonist very sticks in the mind as like this is a cool thing to watch and a cool world to explore. And they did a lot with what they had at the beginning. You said it's from the 70s. It's still not fun to watch. Why is that? Do you think when we can still watch Popeye and find it a great time? Did I did I say specifically for this one that it's still from the seventies? It's not fun to watch. You did. That was an early comment. Goodness, I'm gonna have to. I'm I'm gonna trust you on that one. Because because I mean I I'm fine talking sugar about the different things, but it does wear on you over time. Like you don't need twenty two minutes to fully explore. Oh, he's found a new civilization and he's doing the same stuff he always does. Maybe that's part of the answer. 
Mm-hmm. You know, is, is uh, when we were watching Popeye and being totally charmed by him, it was five minutes max. I guess the question then is, you know, the age of the people versus the sign of the times question. <laughs> um, is our, our attention spans too short now or did have has entertainment just improved? Probably both. Yeah, it's always you know, both. I, God yeah, damn I, it, why is always both? Yeah, I mean, sorry, sorry to, like, you know, math teacher answer to you, but... <laughs> well, if you divide by two. Yes. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, yeah, I... You know, I, I like to think that if I was unfamiliar with any given form of animation, that I would be just as charmed by Tarzan as I would by Avatar The Last Airbender, but it's simply not true. Like, <laughs> More recent forms of animation have many more tools to work with. They more accurately and like more ably uh, imitate life, and they 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 have more money production values going to them. The voice acting cast is generally much better because the industry is better. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was like a brief trough in the 80s just because the marketing solution for animation was just crank this shit out, and so maybe <laughs> like it took a little bit of a of a quality dive. But I think in general we're trending just better and better animation. And especially because it's the internet age of animation where we're not getting kind of uh, pigeonholed into just Funimation or just Warner Brothers. Like, we, we right. actually have every two-bit chuckle fuck who, you know, figures out Adobe Photoshop, they, they can be an animator now. Yeah, and they don't have to be good. The production doesn't have to be good. But then again, it usually doesn't run for that long, you know. Five minutes of of watching these claymation guys, you know, make fun of Lord of the Rings. I'm I'm in. I'm so yeah, down. Yeah. And I'm out. <laughs> yeah, and so like, you know, I, I I like to think that Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, could hold my attention span just as good. It simply can't. Mm-hmm. I'm very good at looking at something in its own weight class, and this in its own weight class is breathtaking. Yeah. Do you um, think they could? But do... it, but it is unfair to compare it to modern stuff. I don't think they could remake it today um as this version of tarzan because of you know the all the problems that are endemic to it um, yeah. and just the fact that it shows its age but i like this tarzan and i like being able to view new worlds and i i'm i'm wondering what other stuff of the modern era would scratch this itch for me that isn't just another you know space sci-fi western yeah and and i i honestly don't know i don't know if we have anything quite as Burroughs-esque as Tarzan in recent memory. Yeah. Uh, the, the, like, the things I would point to would be kind of space western stuff. You know, the, your your Firefly. I, w- I would point to pirate adventures, you know, with your um, with your uh, treasure treasure planet and your um, Brave Pirates Star. of Darkwater. I would, I would turn to your Brave Star for different worlds. Um, I might even turn to justice league or things like that if we wanted to encounter alien races Mm. that same sense Uh, of of comedic of comic book nobility yeah that's very tarzanian or i mean a very star trekian i guess they're the same thing yeah yeah i i can't think of anything you know that's exactly that note of big dad energy trying to introduce us to the neighbors Mm -hmm. I, i i don't know if anything does it quite as purely as Tarzan, like this is a very pure expression of that ideal of Big Dad energy introducing us to the neighbors. Well, if uh, I think if the audience can think of any examples of this or an audience member who has both seen this show and read the originals, I would love to to hear some perspectives. Yeah, I would love to like I would love to note 
any I would love to become familiar with any show that is more recent than this that maybe benefits from modern animation choices and styles and technologies and sensibilities but that but that has the same just openness yeah the same moral strength <laughs> and like the the I've got the same big dad energy <laughs> I'll just say it again yeah uh, I don't think I have anything else I think I think we're pretty much good yeah it's uh you know it's doing pretty good even from a modern perspective it's watchable and at the time I'm sure this was you know this could have been top of the pops I don't know I I don't think it is watchable anymore I think it is a relic that much like Tarzan himself we should you know view through the lens of this is something in the age of animation that is worth looking at as like a way it reflects on modern man but I I don't think it has anything to say beyond that necessarily mm-hmm. like I, I don't I didn't I guess I, I guess I agree with former me I don't really like watching it <laughs> I appreciate it like the, it's the different axis right yeah. I appreciate it a whole hell of a lot I appreciate the struggle in creating it and how well they put the pieces that they had together it's just still not fun to watch yeah I do think that a lot of 80s series of shows borrow some DNA from this era, though, and some of the stuff like better voice acting and dialogue and more emphasis on cranking out shows versus making good fluid animation would later get refined for a different era. But I do see a lot of the same tools and like animation styles and like character models and moral uh, point to it all. I see that a lot in He-Man and G.I. Joe. And it's, it's cool to see a different articulation of that exact formula. Yeah. Well, I hope we have uh, as many wonderful nuanced things to look at in our next episode. Um, yes. We It was going to be as told by Ginger. We're going to push that back one because, Ben, what's happening? So next time we have an illustrious guest uh, coming on the podcast uh, by the name of Gary Butterfield from the famous DuckFeed.TV network. Um, I know him as the person who instilled with me such a love of podcasting that I made one. Yeah. So, so, so this is the guy who, who, who made this show possible, brought to us by viewers like Gary Butterfield. Uh, he's going to be on the show um, to talk about something. So, like, I don't, I feel like he's pranking us a little. <laughs> you know, he, he wants to talk about something that is very dear to him as of recent. And I've never seen it before other than just having watched it a little bit before recording. We'll be talking about Tiny Fuppets. Yeah, this which is... Which is a Muppet parody from Portuguese... Like, a Portuguese Muppet parody? That's kind of nihilist and absurdist. I, I'm going to have to do a lot of research onto, like, surreal comedies. I think we're going to have to bring Cromartie High School to mind. It should be interesting. Oh, I was thinking, like, don't hug me, I'm scared. But yeah, I'll watch a couple episodes of Muppet Babies and, and do my due diligence. But uh, yeah, having, having him on will be really interesting. I know, uh, you know, we both... Uh, wanted to you know interact with him as more than just a parasocial relationship um in the past i it's gonna be really weird we're probably gonna be high strung and awkward um yeah i'm i'm scared out of my mind to talk to you gary to give to give the audience an idea of like who we managed to talk to um you know if, if the king of the podcast game is like i don't know like mark Marin or or you know um Dan Savage. Dan Savage. You know, one of those people. Gary Butterfield's like a Viscount of, of the local land. He's an absolute Viscount. 
And, uh, you know, the people we're used to collaborating with are like the peasant next door or sometimes, if we're lucky, the peasant down the street. So this is this is really cool for us. Yeah, th- it, this is a big deal. And I'm going to ha- go ahead and pat myself on the back for having the balls to actually ask him on. Yeah. So good job, Ben. Um, <laughs> I hope it goes well. And I'm, I'm very excited to talk about a very weird thing. Oh, it's going to be so weird. <laughs> yeah. And I, it, apparently he has gotten a tattoo of it recently. I can't wait to ask him about that. That's wild. <laughs> Uh, but you know, like I, right. this, is, this is our mission statement. Anybody who loves a show, we want them to talk about it. So tiny puppets wait. and then, uh, a return to normalcy with as told by ginger. Yep. Great. Weird shit. <laughs> yeah. Weird, weird shit. Sh- and then just, just lumpy shit. <laughs> yeah. So if you have anything to say about weird shit or lumpy shit, what are the other, nothing else. Not your own. Or if you want to tell us more about like Tarzan shit, that's fine. Um, the most natural shit there is. Then you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our group website at fancybat.com or our regular website at cartoncast.com and drop us a line on our contact page there where you can uh, tell us what you want to hear in the show, uh, just a general comment on like an era of animation, pretty much anything that you think that would be interesting to talk about. Um, we want to hear it. Uh, so go ahead and drop us a line so you can hear it on air. Um you can go to Apple Podcasts and review us and drop us a five-star rating if you like what we are doing, uh, and it would really help us out if you just do that and more than anything else to tell your friends about the show. And if you could tell them about it by doing the Tarzan howl from, like, two blocks away. I now really want to know how you would articulate that on like in a text format. Like, what, what vowels? I, I want to go out into a field and try it out, except, like, I'm indoors and we're recording, and, like, that'd be bad for everyone. Yeah, I I suppose it would. Yeah, don't yodel indoors. <laughs> Life <laughs> lessons hazard. from from Zane the podcaster here. I uh, I sense your moral righteousness, and I agree with your right to exist. But you should not yodel indoors. When there's vermin need a catching and youngins need a saving, on my rocket steed I race across the stars. For I'm sworn by the birds of my spurs to right the outlaw wrongs on Mars. Yes, he writes the other wrongs on Mars. Oh, the hyper humming and the margin savage drumming are as beautiful as comet bugs in jars. Johan from Earth. But I write the other wrongs on Mars. Yes, he writes the other wrongs.